Welcome back. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show episode 418. I am your host, Bob Waltenspiel, hanging out with Randy Walker. We are super lucky this week with the help of Kasten Thomas, our good friend of the show. We have Lisa Plagemeyer on the show. She is the executive director at the National Cyber Security Alliance. This is going to be a great talk, and we're super, super lucky to have Lisa in studio with us. You can find us online, IT in the D. Dot com. Do us a favor, give us a like on the socials and subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. Don't forget meetup.com slash IT in the uh, We have our last in our three-part series at Whiskey in a Jar. Uh, the 18th, uh, Thursday, five to question mark. Some people stay late. Uh, no speakers, no cover charge. Bring a business card or don't. Just a bunch of IT folks talking shop and making friends. Hope you can make it. Um Lisa, so you were up here in Michigan. Uh, you're I actually was. you're in you're in warm Texas right now, and we're in the I'm snow. I'm in sunny, warm Austin, Texas. Yes, nice. It's a great area. But uh, so, talk to me. National Cybersecurity Alliance. Obviously, the name speaks for itself. Um, but what I guess, what do you do, and what is the goal? What are we doing? What is the goal? So we probably our biggest claim to fame that most people know us from is that we were along with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within DHS, finally called CISA, we were the founders of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So we've just wrapped that up in October. That's October every year. So now we and now we, we just don't do now we just don't do it, right? Month, <laughs> the month is over. No. Um we we're actually on to planning for data privacy week in January. Ah. No, we have our biggest focus um is to be sort of the clearinghouse for information where the average human, my mom, my kids, the average consumer can come to get plain spoken information on complex cybersecurity issues. So we have lots of advice and tip sheets for folks from every walk of life, whether you're a parent buying a kid their first cell phone, or like me, you have aging parents who like to click on everything and call you every night for IT support. Um, we out there for everybody and we're we're just trying to trying to demystify um cybersecurity and make it you know make just explain um things that are relevant for for everybody in every walk of life right i mean these are things that that people they care about protecting their families they care about privacy is a concern that's our our reason for being we we officially are um our mission statement is advocating for the safe and secure use of all of all technology. So Lisa, you bring up an interesting point. Um, one of the things that we've always been passionate about and one of the co-hosts Nuri, and even with myself, cause you know, I got older parents um, is oh, I think awareness for, for the people that, you know, that are in their late sixties, seventies, early eighties that didn't grow up with a computer in their hand, you know, I think we're, you know, I might be the first generation. I think I got my first computer when I was 12 or 13. Um, right. You know, Randy was, you know, from birth, um, had, Not had quite, one, but, <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is, you know, they've had to pick this world up and they, I feel the phone calls. I'm sure you feel the phone calls, Lisa, Randy, I'm sure yeah. you from your folks. Mm -hmm. And I try to steer them in the right path, but uh, you know, what do you have any tips or any ideas or what, what's the best way to talk to, that crowd, um, because I think it's really necessary. Yeah, I think uh, when they can hear from other folks in, in their age group, that's helpful. When I was the chief marketing officer at MediaPro, we started producing a series called Mom Don't Click That. And it was based on a true story that happened to my mom. She was victim of a support scam uh, from the, you know, purportedly from the company, you know, the computer that she owned, the laptop that she owned. And as I talked to more and more of my colleagues, I realized that everybody had a story um, concerning their parents. So we sat down uh, with a comedian named Alex Falcone, who at the time was living in Portland, and he was um, an IT guy by day. And on at night and on the weekends, he was a stand-up comedian. He was voted Portland's funniest man. He's since been on Colbert and moved to Los Angeles. But we would we did these Zoom calls with like the security professional, their aging parent, and, and Alex, the comedian, who was kind of a boy next door type interviewer. And he just knew how to pull the stories out of these folks in a way that gave you empathy for them. Like, because, the, and then that was part of the humor too, is that 
those of us who field these phone calls, you know, strange hours of the day because your parents might forget that you work for a living. And so they call you in the middle of the day or it's late at night because mom has insomnia or whatever the problem is. And, um, and so we get frustrated, right? Cause we're middle-aged. We have our own kid, you know, kids growing up still to worry about. We have our careers to worry about. And then we have our aging parents to worry about. And so you feel kind of pulled in three directions and our patience gets a little thin sometimes for dealing with our own parents and their, and their technology challenges. So we put content out there that, that really makes it like, you just have empathy for these people. You realize that, that even getting on a zoom call, we have one episode that starts with um, it's Jim foot from Microfocus and his aging parents and we started the episode with him on FaceTime uh, with his parents trying to walk them through how to use Zoom. And then, there were, you know, the episode goes on to, to talk about voice phishing mainly. But um, I just had to walk there. my mom through a Zoom call or joining a Zoom call this evening. Yeah, they're out there on, on YouTube. They're, they're, they've since been donated to the National Cybersecurity Alliance by um, No Before, the company that acquired MediaPro. So... So they're out there and I would love to film more episodes, but it's great because you get to hear, you hear these folks in their own words, talking about some of these issues, kind of some of the near misses, some of the actual security incidents that resulted. And then some of the near misses, there's a real sweet woman, John check from Raytheon. It's his mom. And um, she doesn't, she doesn't do click on anything unless Johnny tells her it's okay. (laughs) She's, she's adorable. My uh, my life when I go to my dad's is, you know, gives me the computer and there's, you know, you, there's screens about three inches tall on Chrome because it's all toolbars that he downloaded when he installed things. He just <laughs> made sure he clicked yes. So there's like 17 toolbars. Right. Um, so I delete all of that. Um, well, because it, it was a big deal for them. My parents were German immigrants. And to get him in, to listen to streaming radio and to do site, Skype calls to Germany was kind of game changing for them. So like sure. they got really active in the in the see real quick. But at the same token, you know, my father um, was it last year um, spoke to someone for two hours on the phone, gave him the credit card number. My you know, my mom calls and said, "Was this wrong?" And I'm like, "Oh my god, cancel all everything!" Right? You know, and we had to redo everything. So. Um, it's amazing when, you know, and I talk to him about this stuff every time I'm over there and it's, I don't, you know, I can, I can understand why they wouldn't get it. You know what I mean? There's, there's sure. so much nuance going on um, and they have why to be targets an, for it. Why don't we film an episode of mom? Don't click that with you and your dad. <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah. Um, with my mom. She, yeah. But um, that would be, it's, it's insane what they go through, like from a, um, just from, from an ex, you know, that experience, but um, you know, kids are the same way too, you know, kind of shift into that. You know, I have, you know, a couple of teenagers and a seven year old and um, they grew up with a tablet and an iPad and a, in their hand and uh, you know, teaching them about social media and, you know, locking their stuff down and saying, do not accept any requests from anyone you don't know outside of school or soccer. You know, that was kind of our rule in the house. Um, yeah, that unfortunately, way. that just goes against all all teenage brain chemistry at the mm-hmm. time. <laughs> just it's contrary to what's happening in their in their skulls physiologically. It's I, really an uphill battle. I remember well, once one of my kids said to me, "But mom, if I'm not on social media, it'll be like I don't exist." And that just that was that gutted me that statement. But that's really that's really the way they go through life. That's so sad. But I completely understand what he's saying. Right. I almost I almost feel it like Facebook, I almost feel the same way. Like I need to be on there and I hate it that I am. Um, I wish that that wasn't the way I can speak to my, you know, we used to group email everyone. You know, we stopped doing that when this came out. You know right. what I mean? So, um, yeah. but just what they go through. So you were in Grand Rapids this week or last week. Um yep as a as a guest speaker um i guess talk to me about what uh, what was your topic and uh you know were you at that was gurkhan correct it was the we were at the west michigan oh shoot i'm gonna flub up the name <laughs> so what 
Westman. I don't remember the name of the facility. It was um, it was just some of the nice security folks out there that put put the word out through for all the different groups that are out there to to have a a breakfast and to listen to me flap my jaws for a little while. Um, West West Michigan something consortium. Okay. Anyway, um, well, you can cut all this out, but yeah, no worries. Um, no, we we talked about primarily we talked about a piece of research that um, that we worked on earlier this year that was released in time for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. It's a study called Obehave, and if anybody wants to find it, they can just Google Obehave in the National Cybersecurity Alliance, and they'll they'll find it. We did this with the help of a cybersecurity um, training and awareness company in the UK called CybeSafe, and it was really um, a behavioral science approach to a survey that CISA funds every year for us, but this year we wanted to, to do something a little bit different. So we didn't just ask people about their behaviors and habits when it comes to things like multi-factor authentication and password management and phishing, things like that. We asked um, questions about their attitudes and their beliefs and things about their emotions. Because if you, if you believe the behavioral science model, right, it says we need capability, motivation, and knowledge. And, or I'm sorry, uh, an op- the opportunity. So capability is the knowledge piece. I can know how to do something, but still not do it. I can have the opportunity to do something and the knowledge and, and just not feel like it, right? That's the motivation piece. You can be motivated to do something, but not have, not have the knowledge, um, the capability. And so, so you, you know, your motivation only take you so far without the knowledge. So you have to have all three of those things in order to, um, exhibit a behavior or, or create a new habit. And so we wanted to ask about that motivational piece because the motivational piece is the hard part, right? And you can teach yourself stuff. You can learn things. Um, you know, I know my garage needs to be cleaned. I even know how to clean my garage, but, <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I don't have a clean garage. And, and for those of you in Michigan, when we moved to Texas, we learned that since there are no basements, your garage is, is what's known as a Texas basement. So that's where all your stuff ends up because you don't have a basement like you do in Michigan. So, um, so yeah, we asked people about that motivational piece. Like we asked about their emotions and, you know, we asked things like, do you prioritize it? Is it important to you to stay secure online? Of course, that's motherhood and apple pie. Most people are going to say yes. But then when you ask them about their specific behaviors, those behaviors don't always reflect that, you know, the fact that people believe it's important to them or believe that they prioritize it, the behaviors don't don't bear that out. And then when you ask them if they're frustrated by cybersecurity, the vast majority of them say yes. Um, and they're also intimidated by it. So frustration, I can understand, you know, think about some of the, the user friction the things like MFA create. Um, I think people are getting a little more used to that, but it's still a little bit frustrating. But the intimidation piece, that that really struck a chord with us. And I think we bring that on ourselves because we've used, for so long, we've used FUD to communicate about cybersecurity issues, trying to, thinking that if we scare people, that's the best way to get their attention or that fear is a good motivator. And you can ask any psychologist, those, those things just really don't bear out in reality. So, um, so I think uh, I'm on a personal crusade to get rid of the cliched stock photos of hackers and hoodies. (laughs) I think those are awful. Um, Most, most cyber criminals don't walk around in hoodies. They don't have finger tattoos. They can't reach through your computer screen. They don't have binary floating around their heads. Any of those things you see in stock photos. So you I, mean I, hackers? Hackers don't look like Hugh Jackman and, and Liam uh, Helmsworth, like <laughs> Swordfish and Black Hat. No, no, no. But I've I've met enough cybersecurity people. They are they're 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 what your banker looked like twenty five years ago, or just your basic your office worker. These aren't. Yeah, they're. There's there's nothing like weird or gangster or uh, exactly. sinister about any of them. We were um, when I was at Media Pro, we were, uh, you know, we were private equity owned and and um, were had a lot of conversations about partnerships and things like that before the company was eventually sold to know before. And I remember talking to this one company, 
another training and awareness company and they were showing us some of their training content and they had, they had taken some um, footage of people sitting in an office, just sitting at their cubes, doing their thing. And they had superimposed on that some animation of little envelopes flying around the office with bat wings, because I guess those were supposed to symbolize phishing emails. So, um, so I suppose we're supposed to think that um, that if you get a phishing email, it's going to have bat wings on it in your inbox or maybe a skull and crossbones, or it's going to make a creepy sound when you open it. Or I, I'm not sure what we're trying to achieve there. That's just not, that's not good training. So um, what, you know, that that's an interesting segue because I've gone through this stuff my entire career, these trainings. And to say that they don't get my attention is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because they're, they're plainly written and I understand the messaging, um, you know, at the end of the day, what works the top 10 don'ts, uh, funny cartoons, um, simple, like effect, you know, I'm just trying to look at for, for an average user, what would be the most effective way? And I, I, I think it's a little bit, my answer is a little bit of everything. I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of everything is not a bad solution because not, you know, the same content isn't going to appeal to everyone. Um, I was talking to somebody lately who had access to some some funny episodic training. It was, it was you know, like comedic training. And um, he said he was afraid to use it in markets in, in Asia because it might not resonate. And I walked away from that conversation thinking, why does it have to be all the same? Why do you have to run the exact same training modules, as long as you're covering the same topics, why does, why does it have to be the same? Why can't you use, you know, something animated for one demographic and it's and some, you know, live action comedic or live action dramatic for another demographic. It doesn't even have to be the same within the same country. I mean, um, what worked for me personally is um, I had the privilege of working for some chief security officers who really wanted to push the envelope. And so the first guy I worked for, he, I like to say now he rescued me from the marketing team. So I was working in marketing and we were doing thought leadership um, on security topics and, and we belonged to ADP. We it was ADP dealer services. And when we got spun off from ADP, he said, Oh, I want you to join the security team full time. And, um, and I said, well, what would I do? And he said, well, you would keep doing the thought leadership stuff. And, um, you know, getting speaking engagements for us. And, and, and then um, I'm going to need help with my board presentations and uh, there's incident communications. We need somebody to report out the executives regularly during incidents and maybe work with the crisis communications team and all that piece. And, Oh yeah, I want you to run a training and awareness program. And I said, well, training and awareness, what's that? And he said, you know, that boring stuff ADP makes us do once a year. And I said, well, I don't want to do that. People hate that stuff. That's what they, they just click through that while they're on a conference call. And he said, well, okay, fine. I, I know this creative agency. Let's sit down with them and see if we can do something really different. So we did. And and we had a blast. And um, and this stuff went viral. I, I remember we had p- portions of that campaign that didn't mention security at all because we were just trying to get and keep people's attention. And there was, you know, like a teaser episode that was just character development on the main character uh, that you'd see later in the rest of the videos. Um, I mean, people shared it with their coworkers. We could see how many times links were shared amongst employees and um, it really got people's attention. And then the next guy that I worked for wanted to do something even edgier. So we created a series. We had a game show called Do Yes or Do No. And the game show host was... Pavel Dragunov from the country of Bulkrania. So we, we made up this character. We cast this guy in LA and he had slick back hair and this fake Eastern European accent and finger tattoos. And he was in a nice suit and everything, but he had like neck tattoos peeking out from his collar. And he had this smile, this, this really um, big infectious smile, but you weren't sure if it was, he was really friendly or he was evil. And he was the game show host. And um, we've made a series of 16 videos and then we traveled around to four or five different office locations around the country with the, with the set, the whole big set with the flashing lights and the podiums and the buzzers and contestants and the whole thing. And, um, and that was really successful. We had people 
we, we put on an episode every other week in the company newsletter. And what I hadn't anticipated is people asking, um, I, like I missed an episode. Can you tell me where to go watch the rest? So I, I needed to, we had to put up an archive because we didn't realize people were actually going to seek this stuff out and want to watch it. Wow. And um, yeah, it was powerful. It was really effective. So, um, but it was a little bit politically incorrect. So that led to a little bit of controversy, but that made it even the, even more interesting, right? Because, um, because we were using this, we were picking at a stereotype of, of the cyber criminal, you know, sure. with, with this fake accent. And but that's what everybody thinks when they think of one anyway. So yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. If you know, that's that's stereotypes are almost always used in humor to get the point across. So sure. Um, I always heard like game, gamification training. I've, uh, I've all, I've heard that for years and years and years and it never really stuck and I've never seen it done properly. Um, what's your, do you have any history like doing that? Like, I, I guess the game show would be considered that kind of, um, Well, when I think of gamification, I think of at the very least, I think of leaderboards and, you know, my daughter works at, um, at, uh, uh, rocket mortgage and for october you know they they um like most companies do they send simulated fish to their employees and she's you know every during the month of october i I guess they had a contest and you could win some points so the company swag store or something and um and she said to me like every week or so when i would talk to her she'd be all excited because she's like i'm in the top five and i've I've recognized every single fish they've sent Ah. the top five of the leaderboard because she wants those points man so, um, you know, I think that she's, she's in her early twenties. I think for that demographic that can really work. Um, I don't know if it would work for a crusty old jaded woman like me, but <laughs> I think for younger people that can really be effective. Well, and that's what it's gotten to the point of we've, we've, you know, where I work you know, our clients, we've put in tags on anything external saying, do not click anything period. Um, if it's going taking you to a website, go to your browser and open the website. But the right. problem is one of our clients gets attachments all day long. And it just, it's so habitual because they'll get hundreds and hundreds of emails that all have attached PDFs or I forget what the other, like a, whatever the facts dot is t- TIFF or something. I forget, but every once in a while one will slip, you know, and, and it's, I don't, we never want to say it's their fault. Cause I don't think it is. Cause it's so inundated how what's your how would you approach that because like again we're scratching our heads because that's their lifeblood that's their business um and and yeah it's it's a it's a thing it's a problem right no i think i think it is important to have empathy for that user like you said i mean this is just um part this is what their daily job looks like is receiving emails with with attachments so um i think you just have to have um, you know, the technology controls have to be, um, you, you know, I think some people think that, that, you know, we'll talk about the, your users as a first line of defense or last line of defense or what have you. And the reality is, is they're just part of a layered defense. And so there's, there's, there's never a time when, I mean, hopefully there's never a time when, um, when they're your only defense you know, hopefully those, those instances are, are really, really rare. So, um, I mean, I, we had the, the good fortune of, um, every time we did have somebody who clicked on an actual fish, um, you know, there were, there, there was something there that was going to stop them, right. There was either the, the proxy that was going to stop them from going to the malicious website or, or what have you. So I think, um, having, you know, maybe you need to have tighter controls around if that's what somebody's email inbox looks like on a daily basis, they're used to getting emails with attachments, then maybe you just have a little bit, you know, build a bigger wall around that person, have a little more technical controls in place. I mean, I think it's a balancing act or find a workaround, find another way for them to share, um, to share files. Well, and that's the, that's the final service or something. Exactly. But that's the, tightrope we have to walk is you don't want to shame them but you want them to be scared um you don't want them to be 
so I, I would disagree with that because I don't okay. think you want them to be scared. I think I think you want them to be situationally aware. Yeah, this stuff happens in the world and it sucks and nobody likes it, but it, that's the reality of it, right? And then what you really want is for them to feel empowered. You want them to feel like they have enough knowledge to to discern these things. Because when you when 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 we elicit the a fight or flight mechanism, like your average person's gonna flee. It's only security people that want to stay there and fight, right? They're, everybody else just wants to disengage from these topics. So if the reality of the world today is, you know, cybercrime is a, is a thing, then, the, you know, you want your average employee's response to be, you know, you want the next sentence to be, yeah, this is a thing, but we're going to teach you how to deal with this. And we think that, that you know, you, you know enough that, I mean, we can teach you enough or you can learn enough about this that you don't have to be victimized. And, you know, you give them some tips and you explain the concepts and give them the knowledge and, and that's all you can do. I mean, I, I noticed a, a couple of days ago, Norton, um, Norton LifeLock who were on our board just rebranded and it's all positivity and encouragement and empowerment and it's all telling people how, you know, with the right tools and the right technology and the right training, uh, the right information that they can keep them, themselves and their families secure. They can keep their, their data private, all, all that good stuff. But they've totally leaned into positivity. You know, they get their main color is a bright yellow, like the color of the sunrise. If I see another security company with a color palette of black, gray, and red, I, I think I'm going to scream. I was going to say, you better put red in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in terms of training and awareness, I mean, I always hate the month stuff that's important because I think it should be all year. Right. Um, and, ob and obviously people do awareness all year. Um, what's, you know, what's a good tip for, is it doing something once a month? Is it doing something every other week? Is it doing something weekly? Is it, is it, you know, or is it just dependent on the client? Because you know, I'm thinking, you know, from a from an IT perspective, yeah, we do two pen tests a year and we have a sim running and EDR and all, you right. know, insert your acronym here. Um, but, you know, the stuff, the user stuff, you know, where, you know, we, we send out four phishing tests a year. Uh, Microsoft has a phenomenal tool these days. Right. Um, they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what, you know, in your opinion, though, what what is it? Is there a, is there a good answer for that or is it just depends on the client? So I think um, I think it depends on the individual. I, I'm I'm a marketer at heart. I worked for Ford Motor Company for a long time in in marketing, and um, and then and then for ADP dealer services and marketing as well. And if you look at what marketers do these days, it's all customized to the individual, right? They personalize as much as they possibly can. So when I ran a training awareness program, you know, I had, I had a, a, a compliant, you know, I had compliance that I had to deal with that compliance piece of my program. I'm, I made that the lightest load I possibly can. Like that was, that was the bare minimum. Like, what do I need to pass an audit? You know, I'm just going to do whatever it is I need to do to pass an audit. And I, I think um, one of the big pitfalls people have is when they, when they say they're going to try and do more, than just compliance with the training because they really want people to get this stuff, right? I really want people to understand these things and compliance isn't fun for anybody. So I, what I advocate for is, is keeping that to the bare minimum. Obviously that's mandatory. And then everything else about your program should be voluntary and, and you should be able to put content in front of people that is um, specific to their role in the company and appropriate for their level of understanding or engagement with the topic. So in other words, I might send out, you know, if I've got uh, like some executive admins who are responsible for the email boxes of the executives of the company, and they're pretty engaged, right? Because they really want to protect their boss and they want to protect the company. Um, then I'm going to send them information about sophisticated phishing attacks. I might write an article or something that explains things to them. I'm to to them that's relevant to them. Talks about you know whaling or spear phishing. I might do a lunch and learn with them because they they kind of like that you know um, that sort of um, high touch like very personalized um, training that's specific to their role. Um, 
but I'm not, I might not do that with a software engineer, right? If I have um, a group of software engineers that are starting to show interest in secure coding topics, um, I might, you know, send them content. We might do an an article or, or, or a session or something with them that goes deep into, you know, a couple of software vulnerabilities that would be interesting for them, like, you know, cross-site scripting or whatever it is, like whatever we feel like we need to be teaching them about. So I think, um, I think you can do sort of general awareness. That's, that's, I like to call it edutainment, right? Like stuff that's interesting, stuff that's funny. um, That's also educational, but as you see people, and you can do this like a marketer. If you have a security portal, like an internet site for your company, you could, you know, have Google Analytics running on there. You can see what kind of content people engage with. If you're using um, the right technology to send out like a company newsletter, you can see what articles people are clicking on, who's clicking through to that portal. You you look at that data just like an advertise, you know, just like I was trying to sell a Mustang or an F series, right? I'm going to see what people are engaging with. And then, um, and then I'm going to try and as much as possible to, to customize the content, um, to serve them up, you know, it's just like, you know, look these days when you get a newsletter from your bank and maybe your wife gets the the newsletter from the same bank, you might get one subject line in the, in the email and she gets a different subject line, or you might, you might get different articles in that, that news, that email newsletter than she gets. Because they've, you know, they're running all the analytics. They they know their customers. They know things about you and what content you've engaged with in the past. And so they're customizing that content based on what they think is going to be interesting to you. And with the right technology, it's it's not, um, you know, there's some corporate comms uh, platforms out there now like Populo that can really help you get good at this. Um, so that's what I'm an advocate for is, is it sounds pretty sophisticated, but with the right tools. You, you can actually, it, it, it does mean producing a lot of content, but that's why organizations like the National Cybersecurity Alliance, that's where we come in because all of our content is free. We have tons of tons of like articles and uh, as I said, tip sheets, things like that. We don't, anybody can pick it up, plagiarize it. Um, we don't trademark or copyright anything. You can take an article that we've written, tweak it to fit your organization and send it out to your employees or put it on your internet site whatever you want to do with it hmm. uh yeah we'll get the link out uh when we put show notes out it brings up it's a good the, point. It's the, the world's best url bob it's staysafeonline.org oh easy easy peasy <laughs> yes what so the the don't click that link the don't get don't open that attachment i think gets a lot of attention and one thing that i was working on this past month was password rules and we all know that the, you know the capital the you know people all have philosophies on setting passwords yep. but that that's not what we got into we got in we found out that so and so knows so and so else's password or they emailed it to the help desk or oh yeah or they you know shared it oh i know so and so's password is this so you you can you know you can remote in from there oh um you're not supposed to do that and we're not supposed to know that. And we're going to send you a hard reset after this calls over. Um, but I think a lot of people are loose with the passwords and I don't think it gets enough attention. I, what do you see on your side of the fence? Is that something that's being addressed? So I gave a series of talks this October to people at mostly fortune 500 companies that approached us and asked us to speak to their employees during cybersecurity awareness month. And probably one of my favorite moments of all those talks that I gave, sometimes a couple of a day during the month of October, was somebody, as I was talking about password manager, somebody who put in the chat during the, the Zoom call, and, I, and this was a talk where there were hundreds, if not thousands of employees present, somebody, somebody said, while you were talking, I, I downloaded a password manager. So I'm a huge fan of of password vaults or password managers. And I talk about I talked about those a lot during the month of October and those talks that I gave. Um, they're really handy, especially for families when you're trying to share passwords ac- across accounts. Somebody asked, like, what do you do to get your teenagers to use it? And I said, Well, that's easy. My my um my youngest who's who's away at college, my husband changed the Netflix password for whatever reason. And um, and so she texts him and says, Hey, what happened to the Netflix password? I want to watch Netflix. <laughs> I got locked out of the account. 
And he said, yeah, I changed the password. If you want to watch Netflix, you're going to need to get on LastPass because we were having trouble getting our kids to use it. So, um, so yeah, so now if they want to launch off of mom and dad's Prime account or um, <laughs> uh, Netflix or anything else, then they, they've got to use our, our shared LastPass. Is that your favorite? Uh, I was going to ask favorite app. Is that is it LastPass? Because everyone's got their own. Yeah, that's what my family uses. Um, I don't. I I don't endorse anyone in particular. And actually, for um, Data Privacy Week this January, we're planning on doing um, a lot of um, you know like webinars and things with uh, a variety of password manager companies because we're just trying to raise visibility a- across the board of those types of solutions. I think um, it was interesting in our research, the most popular answer, when we ask people how they manage passwords, the most popular answer was I write them down in a notebook, which was incredibly depressing. Yeah, right. So um, the second to the last was I use a password manager application. And then we asked people who didn't use a password manager application, why not? the most popular answer was because I don't trust them. And it's interesting because I've had a few conversations with the folks at a few of these different companies, you know, Keeper, KeyPass, you know, uh, LastPass. There's 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 a, about a dozen, I, I'd say, leading ones right now. And, um, and they're aware that people don't trust them. And I think it goes back to a couple of incidents that happened when that technology was relatively new. Um, there were a couple of, of security incidents, but um, I, th- I think your average person just doesn't understand the concept of, you know, um, um, zero knowledge architecture. You know, I think they have this this idea that there's software develop- developers at these country at these companies who can who can see all your passwords <laughs> and things like that. I think the operating systems on phones and computers building at least rudimentary password managers in is helping a little bit. Um, I know my mom was reluctant to do anything, but since it's built into her phone, she doesn't have to install extra software. She started using the built-in software on her iPhone for that. Yeah. If you, if you, if she uses nothing but Apple products, that's easy. Mm -hmm. I think it gets more difficult when it comes to family accounts or if you're a, a mixed. Yeah. A mixed family like we are yep. with half of us on Apple and half of us on Windows. It gets harder. Um, but I I mean, you know, when you when you're starting a new account someplace and you've got that thing installed on your browser and and it asks, you know, you can you can let it uh come up with a long strong password for you mm-hmm. it fits all the password rules, man, it can do it a whole lot faster than I can. For sure. So I think they make you more efficient over time too. And I think that was the biggest issue. Like, what if they get hacked? Um, you know, I, I was not an early adopter. Um, I am sort of now. Um, but that was the biggest thing. Like, you look at all these, yep. you know, right now, you know, I was talking to somebody that MSPs are the biggest target because now they have admin passwords for hundreds and hundreds of right. other companies. And they're they're getting hammered. Um, so it's not necessarily, you know, hacking you know my folks it's it's hacking the msp that owns the comp you know that runs right. the company's it that you know knows everything no i was not an early adopter either because there were a couple of incidents early in the i mean but it's been like five or six years ago now and i think most of them have their act together and if you use it together with mfa to even get on to your password manager um you know i mean they're they're all by by and large using strong encryption so I think I'm good with using a password manager until quantum is a thing. And then, then I'll start to get worried. <laughs> yeah. Cause I remember even like when you talk about MFA, I remember, you know, the RSA keychains. Um, oh, those, yeah. those are for the super fancy people. Um, but now it's, you know, <laughs> I think it's second nature for everybody that you get a text on your cell phone. Um, yep. or a push. You know, yeah. And, and you're good to go. But you know, it's, it's funny now how, a lot of this technology adoption is being driven by cybersecurity agencies. And I, I, you know, I'm curious what you, what you were seeing, because I just read something last week and there was about the top 15 cyber agencies and I like five of them are losing money. Um, So now they have to increase their rates. And um, that whole world has made a lot of president's club sales reps for security companies. And it's given a lot of people heartache that they have to open up their checkbooks so much. Um, what you know i guess what's your uh, what's your view on 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 that whole world 
You mean just on the vendor space in general? No, uh, the cyber cyber insurance, the whole, you know, because when we first heard about it, it was like, it was completely foreign. You could have spoke Greek to us and it would have made more sense. Um, and now the fact that, you know, some of these companies are losing money, they're paying out so much. And the checkbox, the compliance checkboxes have gotten from five or 10 things. And now it's, you know, 40 pages of compliance. Um, right. That yeah. world's just completely. Right. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people got burned in the very early days. Um, and I, I, what I hate to hear is anybody who's got the impression that, like, you know, still has the impression, maybe a medium-sized or small-sized business, oh, I'll just get this policy and I'll be fine, right? And and I don't need to do anything else. But like you said, the questionnaires are getting longer and longer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's still an evolving, evolving space. I know a lot of people got burned early on. Um, I think I, I hate anything that, um, that, that increases the chances that ransom's going to get paid. <laughs> and right. I guess the insurance goes in that bucket. Um, I think it's important for organizations to decide in advance to have a policy discussion on whether or not they want to be the kind of company that, that, that fuels cybercrime that pays ransom. I think it's important to have that discussion not when the gun is to your head, but, you know, when before anything bad has happened. And once you make that decision, because that's for me, that's an ethical decision. That's a moral decision. Do we want to do we want to fuel cybercrime or, or don't we? Right. And once you make that decision, if you say, you know, no, that's not the kind of company we want to be, then, OK, what does that mean? What 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 protections do we need to have in place, you know? Let's do a tabletop. What is that going to tell us about ourselves? Where are our weaknesses? You know, what do we need to fix? What do we need to do? Because we don't want to be that kind of company. I, I think it's an ethical question. That's a question of like who you are as an organization organization at your core. No, you have the same take as me. I'm, I, it drives me insane when I hear companies paid the ransom um, when it could have been as simple as just restoring from an hour ago. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> And just having those safeguards in place. And, you know, I, I think it's, you know, yeah, you're right. It's completely evolving. Um, you know, I think marketers, you know, you, you know this will be interesting. I want to know what you think. Marketing is, is, is they ruin, they don't ruin things, but they overuse things. Um, the two phrases I always make fun of are digital transformation and, and zero trust. Um, because every, you talk to a hundred people and they have a hundred definitions of what it is. Um, and zero, you know, I'm just curious, you know, when you say zero trust, you know, I understand the concept, um, but everyone has a different take on how it should be implemented. Um, what's, so, what's probably some of the brightest people I've heard talking about zero trust lately are companies that are all in. And and there's a couple of large technology companies out there that that um, have made huge strides. And to listen to them talk about it is a very different conversation than listening to a consultant talk about it or somebody who hasn't like lived it and actually implemented it. And some of the funniest stories I've heard out of that have been, um, I mean, these are large companies that, that have a, a decent culture of security that they've grown amongst their employees and employees saying, you know, reaching out to a security team saying, Hey, something's wrong. I didn't have to authenticate 20 times to get into this application. Like something's like something's, <laughs> something's wrong. And the and the uh, help desk being able to say no, it's okay. We know it's you, right? We know because we've gone zero trust and and we're looking at the data and we're letting the data tell us that that you're you. The only question I have about, I mean, I don't know that much about zero trust aside from, from an implementation perspective, right? I've talked to people who've 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 who are using it successfully, but I I haven't uh, worked on it myself at all. The only question I have is if it's all if it's all if it's based on the data, right? If it's based on having this this this, you have to have a large database and and have a lot of information on your users to be able to to you know authenticate essentially from that from from that data. Um, what's you know what do you have to do to protect that database? Then that would be my next my that would be where my mind goes is you know. What if that data gets corrupted? 
so last week we had a consultant on Randy, maybe correct me. He said basically the biggest, uh, if you just hardened Active Directory, that would solve, did he say 100% of your security issues? Yeah, Active Directory was a huge target because it wasn't designed for modern infrastructure. Yeah, I can believe that. So it's funny though, you think you buy all the all the great toys and all the great software, and then at the end of the day, it's it's Active Directory that's but I think when you when you do you know zero trust framework identity is probably the first step managing identity. So um, you know again everyone's got their own take and definition of it. it, and it's just funny to me how it's spun. It's kind of like cloud, right? I mean, when I was yeah. growing up, when I grew up, it was shared hosting or a virtual private server, um, and now it's yeah. become now now all the as a service things have taken over and these acronyms and it's um, you know. It, it's got to drive people crazy because I know it does to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it starts with the, the, that authentication, but then I think it, uh, another big piece of it is, is, you know, what is, what is normal behavior look like for your users, right? Having sure. all those data points. Yeah. So you were telling me before the show, you uh, were able to write a blog and you actually, uh, I don't know what the word viral means anymore, but it got shared a lot and it got viewed a lot. What, uh, I guess talk to me about what you uh, what you wrote about. Oh, that was a LinkedIn post that I did a couple of days ago. Yeah, when the ar- arrest happened, the the ransomware dude who had the misfortune of trying to cross from the Ukraine into Poland when he got arrested, um, um, Brian Kreps actually posted a, a photograph of this guy in a top coat walking in a park somewhere, and he just looked like the boy next door. So I um, I you know he didn't didn't look like a gangster. <laughs> and so I, I posted on LinkedIn just uh, to draw some attention to the fact that he wasn't wearing a, he wasn't wearing a hoodie. He didn't have finger tattoos or neck tattoos and his, his hand can't reach out of your, secu- your, your screen and, and, and grab you. So I, I have a personal beef against all the cliched imagery that, that we see particularly in training and awareness. And then it also shows up a lot in the mainstream media. I did a couple of um, morning shows over the course of September and October talking about back to school security tips and things like that in September. And I get a a little tiny bit tweaked. I mean, it's great that, that some of these shows are talking about these topics. Don't get me wrong. I love to get the message out there to the general public. Um, But sometimes as you're talking, they'll put, you know, other stuff up on the screen because it's pretty boring just to watch somebody talk on a on a morning news show. Um, and it'll be, you know, picture of a server room or it'll be binary floating across the screen or it'll be pictures of hackers and hoodies that usually don't even have a face. It's just this this hoodie with a with darkness where somebody's face would normally be. So um, it's cliched. It's not effective. It It's it's leaning into FUD again, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or leaning into scaring people to try and get them to pay attention. And, and I just don't think that works at the end of the day. No, it just, yeah, builds into, builds into like, that's what you're looking for. And it shouldn't be, it should be right. It literally could be anyone, you know, it could be the 14 year old down the street. That's got all the equipment and he's rolling, you know, riding his bike around the neighborhood with a backpack full of, you know, I mean, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's happened. Yeah, sure. Um, and that's another thing we were uh, kind of joking about earlier is it drives me nuts how they, how hackers and just computer culture in general is portrayed in Hollywood. You would think they would hire just, you know, they're in Silicon Valley, just bring, bring, bring a nerd and tell, tell them if it's right or not, or get a consultant. Um, but yeah. I was just telling you, I just watched the movie free guy with uh, Ryan Reynolds and he's a, uh, the first like AI built non-player character and he breaks free of his non-player of his loop. Uh, it's like a grand theft auto type game. He's video game. But anyway, they're trying to stop. They're trying to stop everything. And they're pointing at this, you know, in the office building on the first floor, it's his data or a data center server room. Sorry. With an arrow at the door. And I'm sitting here at home, just screaming. I'm always like, what's, you know, what do you probably go? Like? They don't, it doesn't work like that. That's not the way, you know? And then as he's axing, the servers trying to shut down the program, you know, he would ax this server rack and then portion of the game would drop, but the rest was still operational. 
and I'm screaming about things being mirrored. So anyway, I have a big beef. I can't imagine how you looking at um, movies like Black Hat or Swordfish and just just absolutely drive you crazy. Yeah, it's all it's just Hollywood. Yep. <laughs> the last time I had a tour through a tier four data center, I was afraid to even look at one of the security guards crosswise much. <laughs> I wouldn't even, even as a security person, um, a, a known security professional to the, you know, a customer of this data center. Like, I don't know how you'd walk in there with, uh, with an ax and think you're going to tear the place apart, but right. Was he, were they armed? Cause there's a word few stories that, you know, the, yes, they, yeah. and, and actually they were all ex-military and all had combat experience. Jeez. Like out in the desert in Nevada, I'm not sure that it would really ever come to that, but <laughs> but oh, the, it was it was impressive. Oh, I've heard stories about that facility in Reno. I was supposed to go visit it a couple of times, but I never made it out. But yeah, I've definitely heard stories. So back to the training side, I want to get I want to get everyone in the know. Where where do they go to get the information and to watch some of those videos you were talking about earlier? So the videos are on our YouTube channel. If you just go to the National Cybersecurity Alliance YouTube channel, or if you're specifically looking for uh, content to help your aging relatives, you can just Google um, mom, don't click that. Or you can go to YouTube and just search on mom, don't click that. And then that'll show you the whole series. Or you can, as I said, go to the Stay Safe Online uh, uh, National Cybersecurity Alliance um, YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, our website is not the same as our name. Uh, we are the National Cybersecurity Alliance, but our URL is staysafeonline.org. Love it. Honestly, Lisa, I can't thank you enough. It's, it's been an honor speaking with you. Um, no, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll share out all the links uh, on our network and uh, hopefully we can help a few people out. But uh, Lisa Plagemeyer, Executive Director, National Cybersecurity Alliance. We're going to wrap things up for this IT and the D show up. Episode 418. And on behalf of Randy and Bob. Do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. Bye. Bye.